Hey, there you are. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. Well, first of all, man, thank you so much for your time for doing this uh, once again. And uh, it's really good to see you. Yeah, it's totally my pleasure. Um, really was looking forward to uh, to talking to you again. I had, a, I had a great time last time. So glad to be here. How has everything been going for, I, I think it's nine months of parenthood already. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're just about right. It, it, it somehow has crept up on me that it's already, it has just hit the 10 month mark. Wow. Uh, and it's been, it's been, it's been really lovely. The, um, the book came out on November 25th. And so we were not sure if, uh, you know, my, my wife and my son would be able to come with me on some of the book tour events, but, you know, we had a great time just recently. Uh, we did the kind of new England leg of the tour and he came with us and, he loved it. It was great. And he got to take a little boat ride. And, oh, you know, awesome. between readings, we, we, we got to do some family things between readings. So, you know, we went to the aquarium in Mystic, Connecticut. We went to this, that, and the other museum, some of which, of course, he slept through entirely, which was the plan. <laughs> it's the intention <laughs> but it that really was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but it, it was great. It was great. And, uh, you know, um, Harvard University means a lot to me and my wife had never been up there. And so we we had two events uh, scheduled up there. So so it was very meaningful for me to return there um, and to you know to bring my wife and to have the little guy. So it really has been we're we're, com- we're, we're the schedule is loosening up a little bit as we get closer to the holidays now. But uh, it's been delightfully, delightfully busy and uh, and a lot of fun. Yeah. And that was my other question for you. And of course, first of all, I didn't get a chance to congratulate you on this work. This is a remarkable story. I mean, I really loved it, adored the journey through and through. And I just want to congratulate you on that. And I'm sure that we'll get a chance to talk about it here in a, in a bit, but just the uh, <laughs> checking in on the tour and what that's been like, along with the reception of the book after it's been with you for quite a while i imagine uh can you tell me a little bit about how that's gone for you you know it's always um it's always surprising because i think as writers we live this kind of double life you know um writing our books in our little offices and and that sort of thing and especially with the pandemic being what it's been when my first novel came out in 2020 i didn't really have an opportunity to see many people out there on the road and and talk about it but when i went out uh you know to to talk about this book and to give book signings i really didn't know what the reception was going to be and i i have been so pleasantly surprised and so warmed uh, by it. And I think it's partly due to the reach of, of social media. Um, but we've had we've had wonderful people coming out to to all the events just to, to talk about the book and to, uh, um, you know, just have a chat uh, in general about literature and, and, and what it can do. So it's really been a, a wonderful uh, surprise and uh, and a very a very enjoyable thing you know it's like writing the book is one kind of heaven and hell but then you get you get to, you, you get to get out there and and actually talk to people uh, that's that's the kind of that's just the fun part right of, right, of a writer's right. life and although all the while you're feeling this this pull that you know you're gonna have to you have to get back to the writer's desk and, and, and start something new <laughs> something that's going to 
tear your heart out again. Yeah. And I can imagine it's been a bit nourishing because the work that you've done with this book is so extraordinary because there are so many, so many things that, that you're talking about here in particular. My fascination with this work is that you, you managed a duality to make something so vast, such as, as the aftermath of war, right? People dealing with the shrapnel of horrific things, but at the same time, it's very lyrical, very uh, uh, intimate, very small, which I thought was was quite fascinating. But again, that duality of the massive impact of something like the Second World War, and in particular Italy, to distill that sort of chaos down to two people was pretty extraordinary. I'm 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 really glad to hear you say that, and thank you for saying it. One of the things that I'm interested in in this book and in, in other places is, you know, let's say we're trying to tell the story, a love story. Um, isn't it true that we we love each other in in history, right? As much as we try to and do attain those places of transcendence and feeling like we're outside of time when we're in an ecstatic moment with another human being. The, the pressures of history of the of the moment uh, are so there, and I was very very concerned with writing this, and particularly in you know the latter parts of this novel when these characters isolate themselves mm -hmm. uh, from others and they're living in this little village in the Tyrrhenian Sea. You know, every word that passes between them, even in the seemingly most intimate moments, is so weighted with history, so pressured upon uh, by the things going. around around them. And so I wanted to give that a sense. And the, the way I, I did that in this book was having, you know, having the reader feel that there's some particular thing, I won't give it away here, but hanging over the characters, mm -hmm. every word they say, every stone they kick on a road, you know, they're, they're unable to escape uh, history. Uh -huh. um, and so that's something that just concerns me just, just, uh, you know, on, on that level. But it's been fun to talk to people about the book, because it has those different, you know, some people want to talk about the politics, that's great. And others love story and that's great. And so it has those different dimensions that, uh, that I find enjoyable to jump between. Yeah. That was one of the fascinating things about it too, that you felt the intergenerational weight of it. Um, and of course we don't want to give too many specifics away, but just, uh, there's, there's these ideas of lineages and how yeah. there are certain kinds of, of, maybe fates that are that are passed down in in a lot of ways and that was just so well done but in regards to something that i had read in one of your last interviews you mentioned that there was a connection to your own family's past in a way or you had gone to italy and and clearly you have a background there can you tell me about how the story sort of entwines with your own family lineage if you will i can yeah I mean, to me, sometimes fate is the word we give to the silences in our lives. And so I was very interested and I and am interested in my poetry and then now in my in my novels in the ways in which, you know, we, of course, cannot say certain things to ourselves. We cannot say certain things to each other. And there are silences in families. And so in this novel, we have a character who did not know his father. His father, uh, there was a great silence in his life, but he had a sense that there was something there. And I'm concerned with the ways in which if we carry around some silence in us, and in, for Leonardo's character in this book, um, that silence is sort of a shame. He feels there's something in his family that's dark and shadowy. Uh, we actually end up doing something very bizarre, most humans. We'll, we'll go searching for a way to give form to that feeling, even if that means we go, you know, doing something wrong. 
Now, that is not my story. However, the way I think it does connect to you know my own story is there were a lot of silences in my family around my Italian heritage. You know, mm. my uh, the, you know, a lot wasn't spoken. Uh, there was a lot that was mysterious. There was a lot that was sort of in the shadows. Not that there, there was anything pernicious there or anything like the characters in this book. But I think the way that, uh, you know, I've written many books and, 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 and over many years, but I had never looked at my own Italian roots. And I think it was a question of just finally connecting to that space and that place that allowed me to feel and hear some of the voices in these in these silences. I know that sounds very vague and general, but you know there are a lot of reasons why I, I don't want to necessarily talk about, oh, sure, sure. talk about the individuals. But I think it's a very good question. And and what I would say is perhaps as somebody of Italian descent, I can speak to this notion that the silences abide in families such as that. There's a lot of boisterous language, but underneath it all, there are things that we that we don't speak about. And sometimes that's just a matter of, you know, the the Italian assimilation a couple generations back. It's the feeling of, well, we're kind of proud of where we come from. Uh, but think of all the stereotypes of Italian Americans in mm-hmm. this. You know, for many, many years, I would not even watch uh, a film such as The Godfather. I, I felt too, too kind of hemmed in and stereotyped by something. Later in life, I could watch it as a masterpiece of film. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I, I think, yeah, I think it was also partly the characterization of uh, of Italians that 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 led me you know, early in my career. I think one of my first interviews somebody put in print that I was an Italian American writer and I asked them to remove it. So that was the state of mind I was in, you know, no longer would I, I would not say that anymore. Although, but, but, um, but yeah, so it's very, very complex. It's a good question. It's a serious question. And one that you can see I'm still thinking about very much. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think that you have created with these characters and this community, the way that you brought them to life is almost, uh, an antidote to those kinds of, of stereotypes because you feel such humanity. And my biggest takeaway from this is, is the way that you humanize these folks, especially through the way they lead their lives, their humility, their work. I mean, these beautiful details against the backdrop of where they live was so fully realized that these didn't feel like archetypes in any way. They felt like living human beings. And for it to be a kind of uh, alternative to the stereotypes that you're talking about, or perhaps the, uh, I guess, superficial notions that we have of certain groups of people, I think is kind of a nice, uh, nice solution that you've come up with. In terms of Leonardo and Alexandro, what is it that you think creates this magnetism between them that, uh, yeah. that initially piques folks' interest in them? I think uh, it's a, that's a really good question. And for me, uh, I always go back to that remark by the great philosopher Heraclitus that character is destiny, character is fate. When I'm writing a novel, it's about the characters. Other novelists may go about it with a definite sense of plot at the beginning uh, and have great success doing so. I don't do that. So for me, looking at these two characters, um, 
this is a novel very much about the ways in which we are broken and split. The, uh, Italy is split at the, in, during the Second World War. You know, you have the fascists, you have the partisans. But how are we as individuals deeply incomplete? So Alexandra is an artist. She's trying to find her art. She's trying to deepen her art. But there is a part of her she cannot connect to. And we kind of learn over the book with her that that is a sort of shadow side of herself that she hasn't connected with. Uh, Leonardo, on the other hand, is very connected to his shadow side. He's been through the war. He's aware of the things that he's done. He has a sense of guilt. But perhaps there are other parts of himself he's not connected to. And I'll sort of give away something that I haven't said in any interview yet. So I'll give it to, I'll give it to you, which is that the book <laughs> is a a at, at its heart amongst other things it's a reimagining of the psyche and eros myth mm-hmm. and that is to say it is a coming together of two characters who project different parts of themselves into the other who find kind of wholeness in each other i think alexandra also had a complicated relationship with her father and she sees this opportunity to find a, a wholeness in reconciling with that part of of the masculine, dare I say, mm-hmm. in in Leonardo. So, as they come together, uh, they have this interesting dance of well, I'm not really totally conscious of this, but you're completing me in some way. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens when another person completes us? It's not all uh, sentimental. We we get resentment. At, you know, how how dare you kind of love a part of me that I haven't loved myself? Mm-hmm. So. Leonardo and Alexandra very much are a sort of retelling of that mythological story of the search for wholeness. Uh, And as they come together, oddly enough, the times when they seem to awaken each other, unmask each other and complete each other, they actually begin to bicker, to fight, to to have a trial with one another. And uh, so that is uh, that is something that I was very interested in in doing. Oh, and thanks for sharing that. That's just one of those major pieces of the of the puzzle that starts to to put a lot more into into context for the story. Um, but I do find that that fragmentation. Uh, I think you you've done it so well because I find that as I was reading the piece, you had these two characters who, it, it, again, it, it was just this this beautiful balance of we are on the verge of solid ground, but then everything is a fog of dreams. <laughs> and so there was this, this just very delicate, you know, sort of back and forth on, on people on the verge of finding that wholeness and, yeah. and, and getting so close to it, that that's just absolutely breathtaking. I think that your poetry also lends itself to that. The way that this is written really helps support that sort of half emptiness that you had in these characters. In terms of the shadows, I guess our last conversation and in previous interviews, you had mentioned this interest early on in your career on the shadow side of ourselves. And there is a remarkable amount of light in this work. Do you think that over the years you have sort of found that balance in both sides of humanity um, in the way that you wrote this work? Is there, is there some kind of atonement for you in that sense where you have gone from that kind of shadow exploration to finding that lighter portion of life and in the characters? Yes, I, I, I rarely you know, think about or certainly don't quote my own poems, but I will say at the end of, toward the end of my, uh, 
my last book of poems uh, that I published in 2018. I'm working on a new book of poems now. But anyway, I have a poem called Odysseus about a return. And there's a line that says, you don't have to love ruin anymore. And although my life very often finds itself on a random Tuesday and Thursday, totally in ruins, just like anybody else's, um, I think, yes, I think my, my work has been tending toward... Uh, thinking about when are the times when we're interestingly artistically looking at the shadows and when are the times when we as individuals are maybe wallowing in the shadows so that we don't have to confront the difficulty of the light, the difficulty of the clarity. And I think that, that this book was really exactly that. I'm pleased to hear you say it, an attempt to alchemize all that darkness into a place of, um, you know, what, what are what, what is the light in life? What are the moments when we can be present in love, when we we can, I mean, here are two characters who have something horrible hanging over them, and yet they find an ability to, uh, you know, to smell the Mediterranean air, and, and, and there's a lot of eating in this, in this book, and they just, they feast, and they, and they, and they sip wine, and, you know, they, they, they have a good time. And that is something absolutely that in my own life, I've been able to, you know, kind of kind of let go of certain things, step into an openness. Certainly, you know, the, the book was written before I became a father, uh, but I think that that was ripening in my life, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and so so that that certainly, you know, becoming a father for me has meant whatever shadows are hanging over your brow, you better cast them away when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> at least enough to just be there for some other person, because boy, it's not about you anymore. And, and, uh, yeah. so, so perhaps I was stepping outside of myself already, uh, in this book, but I'm glad to hear you say that, it, that that's coming through. In the I, book. Yeah, I believe that's the case. And I'm glad you, you mentioned, uh, this recent change in your life as well, because I was curious when you started writing the book and whether any subsequent rewrites of the book were affected by the change in the huge change in your life of having a child and looking back at those relationships and finding maybe different angles or a different side of what you thought you had written already in, in a fairly concrete way. Yeah. So I had the book, uh, completed the book came very quickly. That's a whole other story that, that we can get into because, um, there, well, there were some other pieces there. Um, but uh, after I'd written the book, uh, yes, it was only after I'd written the book that um, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant and then, mm -hmm. and then the baby came. And the only rewriting that had anything to do with that at all was just the part that would naturally come from uh, being there with my wife as she went through the pregnancy and uh, trying to help her as much as I could and little details about the frustrations she was going through, mm -hmm. which uh, enabled me to enrich certain passages in the book. Um, it was very, very odd that, although I suppose not so odd because it's such a, a natural thing to have happened, but I think we can give away here that, that Alexandra becomes pregnant in the novel. Um, and so, yeah, so I rewrote a little bit just based on, on, on certain life experiences there, but no, it was very much completed before that, uh, that whole process in my own life came to pass. Mm. So let's talk about that origination process, which, uh, you've mentioned that it happened fairly quickly and maybe you had other stuff going on and, and this had to take your entire attention. What happened was it, it was very bizarre, but after I finished my first novel, which is called The Dark Heart of Every Wild Thing, a very different novel about a man in the wilderness, sort of alone, uh, very much in the shadows. After I finished that book, I picked up a novel manuscript that I had been working on sort of simultaneously with that one. 
And I worked on it and worked on it and hacked at it. And I mean, eventually it swelled to something like 200,000 words. And it was, it was, you know, it looked like a novel. It smelled like a novel. It was on the page, but I looked at it and I tell you, it, it just wasn't, it, it hadn't come to life. It hadn't done the things that I needed it to do. So I set it aside and I wrote yet another complete novel manuscript mm. and, uh, wow. you know, drafted it, drafted it, maybe spent a year or two years, um, and again, I looked at it and it, the ideas were good. It was somewhat there, but it just did not feel that it had the, the inevitability to it. Mm -hmm. So when I say that the Swallows of Lunetto came quickly, what I mean is in about October of 2020, I sat down at my writing desk one day and suddenly heard these voices and these characters. And when I went with them and followed them, the draft of the novel came relatively quickly but I realized somewhat early in that process that this was an alchemizing of those two abandoned manuscripts, that on the surface, mm. the plots had nothing to do with each other. The plots had nothing to do with this plot. But uh, it was it was finally that I was I had found the characters through which this story could could come to life or through which these concerns, these obsessions, frankly, which every writer has uh, ha would would come to life. So. So it's a curious story of this novel because one way to tell it would be to, um, you know, say, oh, you know, it came very quickly. Uh, but but really, I think the truth is um, it, it came as the final blossoming of this, you know, this attempt to put these roots down over many, many years in different ways. Yeah, it seems like it was a long time coming and it was just a matter of sitting with the, I guess, the, the general themes, perhaps, or, or even some fully fleshed out ideas uh and and reconstruct them in a way and letting them come to you in, in a different structure a different form um but in regards to research how how extensive was it or how do you approach that aspect of it because this is so this feels so genuine in mm -hmm. in terms of the setting in terms of the events that were going on to, to really amplify the aftermath of something, the foundations for that, you know, were so strong in the, in the work that I'm curious of the political work that you, that you had to research and, and timelines and things of that nature, if you could elaborate a little bit, as well as setting too, which is breathtaking. Yeah. Well, it happens that I'm, I'm someone who's, uh, you know, always sort of voraciously reading history amongst other things, and particularly the history of the First World War and the Second World War. You know, for many, many years, it's been just something that I'll, um, you know, pick up in the evening and 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 read. So uh, when it came time, um, when it came time to, to 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 find the place in which this story was going to to unfold, I think it was very you know, I had a lot of that in me, so I was able to call on it. Mm. But as I went along, of course, um, there was a tremendous amount of research, which I find very pleasurable, looking, for example, at the 1930s in Italy, looking at the ways in which, uh, you know, Mussolini's fascists would have, quote unquote, educated the young and how this uh, these systems were brought into the schools and, you know, that that sort of and, and even down to, you know, uh, the, the, the currency and the value of the currency and, uh, um, you know, all of that I, I happen to find very pleasurable. Sometimes you'll have a day of working on the novel and you realize, oh, you know, I, I kind of have just done research today and I haven't written a word on the novel. And you'll say you have to <laughs> convince yourself to get back at some point. But it was a very organic process. There was a lot that was there. The setting, in terms of the setting, 
I was there from my time in Italy. Um, I remember many, many years ago, the first time I went to Italy, I smelled that air and I just knew there was something different in it. I don't know if you've been over there, but it's mm -hmm. whenever you're in the Mediterranean, there is that you can smell the ancient air. It's, it, there's, huh. so, there's so many more voices and, and, and things uh, in it that re happen to resonate with me because of my own heritage. Sure. Um, yeah. so, so I did that. Uh, but I also wanted to make it clear, you know, Lunetto is uh, a made-up town just so that I could move every stone around and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, make it, make it fictional in, in, in that way. But Lunetto pulls on uh, many different uh, places in Italy to give it that, uh, that texture and hopefully that genuineness um, that, that I'm glad to hear is coming through. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that that air, that ancient air, because one of my biggest takeaways was not only those descriptions of, of the setting that were so vivid, but the sea as a character itself, as a, as a living thing that was always ever present. And it felt like this, this beautiful reminder of something bigger than, than oneself. Um, but in terms of tyrants and how they hijack, I love this, this description that you had in the book about how they hijack uh, our story, or if you could elaborate a little bit on what it is and why it was important to tell this story uh, in terms of dealing with the aftermath of something caused by tyrants and authoritarians, and yeah. what can we take away from this? Because it's a really powerful perspective. This is very much at the heart of the novel. So one of the things, of course, I mean, we can just come out and say it, which is that I was concerned when I was writing this book, like most people, with the kinds of far-right things that we see developing, uh, you know, all over the world today. And the question becomes, you know, how does this happen? And I should mention, of course, tyranny happens on the far right and it happens on the far left and it happens everywhere. Tyranny is just the, you know, the idea of handing over a part of yourself, a part of your psyche to someone else and saying, carry it for me. And now, so if we think about that, right, I've, I've sketched out this relationship, this love affair between Alexandra and Leonardo. And in a way, they are handing over parts of themselves to each other. You know, we do that in relationships and it can be healthy and it can be unhealthy. So yeah. I was thinking in this book about, you know, two levels existing at the same time. How do we do this projection of parts of ourselves into others on an individual romantic level, let's say, and how do we also do it on a grand cultural level? When are the times when this these things can intersect? And so I wanted to think about the ways in which this actual just relationship between two characters might actually be able to teach us a little bit about how we hand our hearts over to tyrants. And so there's a little, mm. if you'll let me quote for just a moment, there's a, there's a little passage that I think says it better probably than I can now after having written the book, is when Alexandra is speaking to an old man in this little village. And uh, he, he's a man who's been through the First World War. And he is talking about tyrants and how they rise and how they fall. And he says about tyrants, we think we begin to speak the language of tyrants, but really those tyrants come from the language we have spoken in our own hearts in the darkness. Mm. He said, we worship such men because they keep our darkness for us and they tell us it is light. And in that way, they can do no wrong until they can. He said, we see in such a life only what we wish to see in ourselves. And so we see anything that is not him as a betrayal of him, of ourselves. But in truth, we have already betrayed ourselves in our own hearts 
for turning our back on our shadows, an act mm. that can only destroy and not create a world. For if you deny your shadow, it becomes your tyrant. And the heart, he said, the heart is the worst tyrant of all. So I think that's where you see that intersection between, you know, if you deny your shadow, it becomes your tyrant in the grand cultural sense. But also, you know, how does that happen between individuals? That was a, a wonderful reading, by the way, too. And I'll, I'll ask you something regarding readings later. But I love that those moments with the old man, a very special character who, who can embody a lot of reason in what seems to be madness and, and just mm -hmm. constant the constant fight to to find relief from a world that doesn't make sense uh which came at the perfect time in the in the book but i wanted to ask you when is the audiobook of this coming out and when are you reading it because having heard your <laughs> voice in several episodes you know of podcasts and you know when you you've done some readings this needs to be read by you this needs to be you know presented in such a way and so i'm curious what your thoughts are on that and um, whether you think that's a possibility. Yeah, well, thanks for saying it. And I, I do, you know, you've picked up on something that I do in my own writing process, which is I, I very often, certainly with my poetry, but also with my novels, I, I read them aloud to myself. And I try to, um, you know, think about myself being the characters and get the cadences right. Um, my, my first novel, The Dark Heart of Every Wild Thing, just came out as an audiobook. I actually didn't mm. do it. It was a, an actor by the name of William Hope who did a really amazing job. And he did it through this company called Spiracle, which is a great, mm. um, your listeners should check them out. They're, they're, they're doing this new work where they're, you know, kind of handpicking literary works and trying to compete with the big, the big, uh, the big beasts of the industry. Oh, great. Um, so I don't have any agreement yet to do uh, this this book. So it it actually is a possibility that I end up uh, doing it myself. And figuring out the best way to do that is a little bit tricky. You know, these things are so dominated by different platforms and yeah. um, and things like that. And uh, you know, recording the audiobook, which is why um, I was happy to have you know professionals do the first <laughs> one. Uh, it's about you know all this you know making sure that that everything is equalized at the right level. I mean, you know more about it than I do doing mm -hmm. even a podcast. <laughs> but it is just to say, um, I think that at the very least, I will be sharing some little clips and certainly sharing some bits of readings that I've done. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe if anyone is listening to this and they, they, they want to, they want to put together, they have the infrastructure to ask me to do that. I'm, I'm happy to, I'll say that. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I just think there's something remarkably special about a poet who is comfortable performing um, who is comf comfortable with the reading, uh, really bringing it to that another level of elevation um, because the work is already phenomenal, but to hear it from the author himself or, or themselves is is definitely something special. And I think that you're very much capable of doing that. So in regards to philosophy, I know that you've studied philosophy or have a background in that. How is it that um, that that background assisted you in the crafting of this work because in the aftermath of such harrowing horrific events that are almost cataclysmic to the world it, it seems as if everyone is looking for a new kind of reason a new kind of answer and you know especially post-world war ii there was a lot of philosophical movements and things of that nature did you feel like you had to dig into your background in philosophy a little bit or or at least some of the stuff that you've you've looked at in the past to write this? 
it's I, not in this particular book. It, that part was not uh, certainly not conscious. I mean, a lot of my philosophical work when I was at Harvard, and this is just as an undergrad, I studied. Uh, I stu- of course, apart from studying, you know, the the, the tradition, I studied uh, philosophy of language, philosophy of mind, mm. particularly focusing on Wittgenstein. Um, so, so not necessarily in a way that I can consciously think of in this book, except for those grand moral questions, you know? And so I would say not, I would say, you know, not even philosophy, but, but almost theology in the sense that what is, what is it for a man like Leonardo in this book who has done the things that he has done? What is it for such a man, uh, young as he is, uh, you know, he's a man in the sense that he's responsible for his own actions, to find redemption, to find atonement? And I was, I was asking that question very seriously, almost hoping for the pages to reach out and give me an answer. Mm. And I will just say there is this, this one passage that surprised me greatly when he finally forgives himself, when he has a sort of flashback to his time with, 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 uh, uh, with, with a young boy in the war mm. and, and yeah. watching that boy die. And in that weird alchemizing of his own relationship to his father and all sorts of things, he kind of wakes up by the sea. And it's very, very insightful for you to say that the sea is like this character that that, that is there and reminding us that there are things vaster than, than we are. I think I think that that moment when he <clears throat> excuse me, that moment when he reaches a, a kind of self-forgiveness uh, was transformative for me. And I hope it's a little bit transformative for the reader. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I hope not to give anything away here. But, you know, if I do, please let me know so I can censor That's it or, okay. <laughs> or excise it. But you, you mentioned that passage uh, when he's uh, he's between dreams and, and by the sea. And there is a line that is so beautiful that I, I just had to write it down. And there were countless, countless lines like this that made me take a moment to actually breathe it in and, and mm-hmm. reread it again just because of how beautifully eloquent these moments were a line such as the only atonement is openness the only redemption is attention the only atonement is to be here it's just a beautiful moment after after one of those conclusions one of the one of those great moments of epiphany I, again countless moments of honesty and and openness for sure yeah that that, that is precise thank you because that is precisely the moment that i was uh, <laughs> that i was thinking of <laughs> But isn't it true? So it's it's just to be to have carried around the weight that Leonardo has carried around. I mean, it's not, it's not giving anything away to the to the listener to say that he has participated in an atrocity in the war, and to come to the point where he realizes you you beat yourself up only long enough so that you can change and become a different person and be there for the people you know. He he needs to be there for his son who's coming. He needs to be there for 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 you know his partner and yeah that that moment when you recognize well maybe it's actually a little bit self indulgent to beat yourself up for your entire life uh, for okay. something that you that you you've done and for Leonardo that is to have participated in in some killings um, you know how do you change yourself to be a productive person to be um, and to be somebody who who contributes. Um, sitting in a corner and, and flagellating yourself, I think he realizes in that moment, um, that's not going to help anyone love me, and that's not going to help me love anyone. That's such a wonderful moment of of complete liberation, I think, for the reader. And it, it is one of those things that had me <laughs> had me reeling at the end. I really had to process um, that last third act 
of the piece just because all of these wonderful elements came together to prove that very uh, statement that you're uh, that you're sharing with us. I know Alexandra is is a wonderful artist and she has always been uh, drawing. What is it about her that might reveal if if there is any kind of correlation between the way that she does her work and the way that you do your work? Is there some of yourself in the way that she makes her art or is this a complete fabrication of approach? I don't know if I should give it away, but I suppose I could because <laughs> you, you the don't non- have to. You the don't non- have to. <laughs> no, 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 I will. I would say there's not as much of me in her, but I don't think my wife would mind me saying that there's a little bit of my my wife in her, insofar uh, as the book is the book is dedicated uh, to my wife Laura. And uh, amongst other things, uh, Laura is a visual artist. And um, I, I think in, in looking at this character, I was, you know, inspired by her ability to create images and bring images out of the subconscious. But then, okay, pivoting from that a little bit, I have just always found it refreshing as an artist to think about artists in other mediums, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, you just get a little bit away from, I don't know, some writers write about writers in an interesting way. I I don't know that I, that I could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so help. So thinking about somebody's art and art making, um, but, but, but translating it to another medium was a bit helpful for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just helped me access, um, frankly, my love for this character then I, it was easier to develop when I, when I saw that bit of an overlap. So there's another cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll be the last one. I promise. <laughs> so uh, just a couple more questions to be mindful of your time, sure. Joseph. Uh, this is such a blast. And uh, again, I'm really taken with the book. I, I just was re- revisiting the last, uh, the last couple of days just to, to get myself acquainted with the work again. But um, a lot of folks were clamoring on Goodreads for uh, for a sequel. And I don't know what your thoughts are on sequels or whether you think that that's an appropriate thing for uh, Lunetto or the world itself. Do you think this is the kind of world that you would revisit ever? Or is there is there anything left in the tank for this particular tale? It's funny. Um yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't heard that that's the case. But I will say that uh, I'm totally fine now. But there was a brief moment after I finished the book. I was in the hospital for a bit. Totally fine now. But I had a moment there, and I, I had a notebook with me, and I started to write a couple pages, uh, thinking about these characters, uh, uh, some of the characters, of course, and where they might go. Um, but I got stuck, and I and I think that it's unlikely that there will be another direct uh, reference to this world. I think probably what will need to happen in my creative process is that the things that now concern me after I'm done with the big themes of this book find their new place, their new breath, their new uh reality to be embodied in. But I don't rule anything out because as I've as I sort of 
you know, uh, sketched out when I was talking about those abandoned manuscripts. Mm-hmm. This it's all very much a mysterious process. I know you know <laughs> that yourself. You know, so um, I'm glad to hear that people are compelled um, by the world uh, that that has been created here. We'll we'll have to see. I think I'll be surprised just as much as anyone, <laughs> anyone else. <laughs> but I do think that's the mark of great work because it lingers in the mind, and I also think the the lushness of not only supporting characters but the circumstances of the world just lend themselves for you to be thinking about it often and uh, regularly coming back to it so i think that's a definitely an additional pleasure that we get to to have from this book now um in regards to what is on the horizon you mentioned that there's a new poetry collection coming out or that that is in the works right yes uh i haven't yet uh decided exactly when to let it out into the world. Um, I haven't done any of that yet. Uh, I'm still in the stage of, of just, you know, crossing my T's and dotting my I's. This is a book of poems that I've, I've been working on for many years. Uh, my last book of poems came out in 2018. So it's been a joy to work on lyric poems while working on novels uh, in that sometimes I feel that after I've got my big breath out in the novels, I can actually come back to the to the tight lyric poem and let it be what it needs to be. So it's been very, very wonderful working on, uh, working on those poems. So, so we'll see, um, probably to be determined relatively soon, mm. uh, but to be determined exactly, exactly when. Wonderful. Um, I think that, uh, we might have to, to have another conversation where I get to ask you about how you went from having this, this deep love of the fragmented, when, uh, you know, again, another interview where they said that you, you loved just the fragmentation and you never felt that you could be a novelist or do a novel. And then right. suddenly you kind of opened your, um, your mind up there. But I love your ability to, to go fearlessly into many forms and many mediums. I, I deeply appreciate it and respect that. And, um, lastly, I just want to ask you, um, I want to pass on a little bit of information to younger folks who are starting. You're an educator, you're a very prolific creative, and I'm curious if there are any certainties that you can pass on to anyone who's just starting. I I know it's a massive, maybe trite question, but I like ending on on Mm -hmm. something like that since we last spoke, because I think it's, uh, it helps us along the way, especially those who are very early on. I think it's no, I think it's a very good and a very serious question. And and one thing that I suppose I would say two things quickly. One uh, would be to try to develop the muscle in yourself that you call trust, to trust yourself. To, you know, there's so many voices that you're going to hear. Do this, don't do this. You can do this. You can't do this. I cannot tell you how many I mean, young people, these are 19, 20 year old people come to my office uh, at the university and almost in tears saying that I can't, I feel I can't write about X, Y, and Z. My peers tell me I can't write about X, Y, and Z. And I say, well, okay, you know what you're going to do? You're going to write about it and you're going to either show no one or going to show me just for a little while. Okay. Just to develop that, that trust muscle. And I'll say, I'm never going to be a voice who's going to say, you can't write about this, that, or the other. And then eventually the role of the teacher is to, to let them go. And, and, and they're sort of hopefully able to do that. So to try to find that place where you can trust yourself, yes, listen and be informed 
formed by cultural conversations, but trust yourself. And the corollary of that would be to give yourself that time and space to have your own solitary apprenticeship with the page and with your, with your own soul. Nowadays, things are different from the way they were uh, when I was a very young writer. And in that, that you can find a place to publish your work. You could publish it here, there, on somebody's blog, somebody's online platform, whatever it might be. But there's a temptation to publish very early, to get the feedback of others, mm. to see yourself reified in the world in that way. And I and I say, as much as I I sympathize with the feeling of a young writer that you're not real until you're out there, try to give yourself that time, that solitary apprenticeship. Walk with your poems, read, write your stories, look at your notebooks, maybe get some feedback from people you you respect. But I think to, to try to have that patience, that trust with yourself, as you say, some of these things end up sounding trite when we say them, but they're trite for a reason. You know, they they work. Um, so those are two things that, that I would say, um, particularly that piece about, about self-trust. Anything that tries to, any anything, any interaction that you have that silences a part of yourself is a wrong interaction. It's a lie. Right. So like, you know, when you just have to use that that bit of information. So if you go into the world and you say, I'm in this relationship and I can't hear a part of myself or I'm in this cultural conversation, and I can't hear a part of myself, then it's a lie. It's not for you. Get out. That's what I'd say. And I think with that, my friend, uh, it's a, it's a good way to to wrap it up. Beautiful note to end on. So once again, thank you so much for this really remarkable work it's a beautiful thing that um that you get to share with us in this novel so i'm i'm very very grateful to you for uh for the opportunity to to check out your work and thanks for all you do as an educator and uh for the communities that you're building and we didn't even talk about that because i know that you're very active uh on twitter sharing a lot of beautiful beautiful poetry and inviting us to take that risk to to get involved in poetry and so um very grateful to get to uh to talk to you man I have to say, I, I, I wish all of my interviews were, were, were just with you because this is, it's always just a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll find time again to, to get into some other things, but uh, really a pleasure, really a pleasure. Thanks so much, Joseph. Uh, I'll talk to you later about some, uh, some spoilers in the book, maybe down the road. <laughs> but uh, ch it. check out uh, The Swallows of Lunetto, folks. I'll be putting in the links in the description. And thanks again, Joseph. Awesome. My pleasure. You take care. You too.